Hello, hello again. I just wanted to pop in here and remind you that this episode is a continuation of the last one. So if you haven't heard the first part yet, I recommend you do that before starting this one. I'll add the link in the show notes. And thank you to everyone sending kind messages of encouragement after last week's announcement. Your support means more than you can understand. Thanks also to the new patrons, of course. And if you, dear listener, enjoy the show, please consider supporting it via Patreon. I cannot continue without your support and new patrons coming in. Listeners like you make this show possible. Now, on to part two. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, (laughs) ever controversial or impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. I would hope that I would be a, a relatively above average intelligent person. I think I, I do a pretty good job at understanding arguments. I think I, I try to do a pretty good job at empathizing with people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, up until maybe four or five years ago, I didn't really believe that sexist comments were that big of a deal because it wasn't something that I'd ever personally experienced. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I've come to realize about people, and I can apply this to so many situations, is that time is something that you can't imagine. Um, and, and I can relate this to so many different things. So for instance, like being poor is one of those things. Um, a lot of times people will say something like, oh, well, you know, try to see how a poor person really lives. Try living on a certain budget for a month and see how it is. Well, that's not actually the shitty thing about being poor. The shitty thing about being poor is that you have to do it over an indeterminable amount of time. And the rest of your life might be, you know, like you have nothing to look forward to. You have no education. You're never going back to school. Your job is horrible. You might be falling behind on bills. Like it's the day to day to day to day struggles that make it so hard. And it's so hard to communicate that to another person. Um, a really good example I had in real life. So I, so I was somebody that would argue all the time that um, a lot of women in gaming, for instance, experience a lot of disproportionate harassment or harassment unique to being a woman and I would say hey you know everybody online gets harassment you know just because you're a woman doesn't make it any different especially like, everybody gets harassed you know and I'm somebody that gets harassed more than most people like there's nothing to complain about here or rather understand that everybody has these complaints um, I had a friend that played games and she was she was between jobs for like a month so we got to play a lot and we um, we played a, a shooter game where you talked on the microphone and as soon as we got into a game every single time she would talk Every time she would open her microphone for the first time, somebody would make a comment about her being a woman. Go to the kitchen, make me a sandwich. Why are you mm-hmm. playing games? Blah, blah, blah. Every single time. And, you know, for the first day, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is funny, blah, blah, blah. By, like, day three, I couldn't handle this anymore. I was getting anxious jumping into games where it's like, oh, my God. Like, okay, say something so we can get this out of the way. And, and what I realized really quickly was that, you know, one time somebody saying a racial slur to you or something bad happening one time is not really a big deal. It's the fact that this is your entire life and you will always have mm-hmm. to deal with it. And I think it is so hard to communicate that to somebody that hasn't experienced it firsthand. This is something that is so hard to understand for a lot of people, I think. So what helped click it into place for you? What has caused you to change positions on this? It, it was... 
as much as I hate to say it, it was the actual experience. It seemed like that's what I needed. It was playing games with her every day. And after a month of that, I was like, Christ, it is so. And now it's like, Jesus, like now when people complain about these things, I try to be very careful. So like earlier, it was tempting for me to answer when you said um, maybe because I am a brown woman, I experience it differently. It's tempting for me to say, well, no, I think I have a decent handle. I understand what you're saying. But like, I'll never say that now. I'm very careful to be like, man, you might have so many lived experiences that I can't conceive of experiencing because just thinking about him is so much different that to say that I was poor for nine years is far different than having lived that experience, you know, that I'm very careful now. And I think that you have to go through, or it feels like it, it seems like you have to either go through one of those moments or have somebody explain it to you in great detail that you respect and can understand, right? Um, that, that experiencing these things over a great deal of time is so hard to deal with and has so many impacts on you that you can't even imagine. Um, yeah, for me, for me, it had to be the experience that, that led me to understand you know, at least in specific to gaming, how, how women can be viewed. And, and then I can extrapolate that to society as a whole, you know, that like growing up, I don't know what it would have been like if I was five years old and I wanted to play Legos, but my parents said, maybe try Barbies instead. I don't know how that would impact me. I, it's impossible for me to say if I had that, if those experiences throughout my entire life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, ideally everyone would learn a lot from experiencing these things personally, but we just can't engineer situations. <clears throat> For everyone too, but this is this is sort of ultimately the goal of needing more representation and things like that in you know pop culture in TV shows because then you kind of start to empathize with characters that are different from you and you can experience things through different lenses if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. There's a, oh, there was this really interesting study I read that um, or it wasn't a study. Oh man, I wish I had the link to this. It was so relevant to this. But basically, the idea is that if if you try to um, if you if you give a certain value, um, so like uh, it can even be like something like communism or some sort of moral value, you know, a religion or whatever. If you ask, if you give that value, ask somebody how they feel about it, and then explain to them why they should think differently about that, and then pull them at the end, that that will be far less successful than starting with a value, asking them how they feel about it, and and then telling them a story where the protagonist has that value and then pulling them at the end that they will always identify more strongly or positively with that value if they're given a story and a context mm. in which they can see that yeah that their level of empathy for said value will, will increase so that that speaks very strongly to your point about representation and, mm -hmm. and having different types of people in media for people to identify with mm -hmm. yeah i mean uh, well, let's go back to the original core point of is sunlight really the best disinfectant? What's happened in the U.S. over the last week, the shooting in Pittsburgh, the pipe bomber, uh, well, the, the guy who sent, who mailed pipe bombs to all of Trump's critics and Trump going right back to, you know, shitting on the media as fake news. Nasreen, as someone who's written about hate speech um, possibly resulting in uh -huh. violence, how do you feel about the events of, the past week. I was going to say, ahead. I forgot about them all because they were just white people. <laughs> Man, if, they, if these were Islamic people, oh my God. I'm sorry, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, the attitudes would be very different. Um, yeah, I think the answer to the question is uh, yes and no. Um, if you're going to be completely detached and bloodless about it, the fact that Trump was elected and in the UK Brexit happened and all these things came to light is resulting in a lot of turmoil um, and hate crime has risen on both sides of the Atlantic, etc. But if you're going to take a kind of cosmic view of it, I think these are things that had existed anyway. Mm -hmm. um, 
all had all were dormant mm-hmm. right and i think it is a very risky thing to say that sure we have a lot of do- in dormant latent racisms and sexisms in our society and all we need to do is make sure that we never elect someone that stirs them up they need to be not there in the first place right mm-hmm. um and so i i i am sympathetic to those people who say you know we need to we need to talk about these things we need to have them out we need to flush them out so people can see how horrible they are um because then they will recoil right then they will realize that it's not just about making circular arguments about freedom of speech and the right to call the holocaust fake you know it's about jewish people being shot in synagogues right mm-hmm. And so there is a side of the argument that I'm sympathetic to which is if you show these things in their full horror then people will understand what mm-hmm. they are. There's another side to the question which is sometimes you create these things basically you give them a life when there was none previously. And I think Milo is one of those examples mm-hmm. where he stirred up so much that didn't actually exist or he told enough lies or he he radicalized people mm-hmm. basically did you I see that same, he posted it was in in response to the pipe bomb bombs being mailed he yeah. posted on instagram let me just find yeah he posted on instagram just catching up with the news of all these pipe bombs disgusting and sad brackets that they didn't go off and the daily beast didn't get one Yeah, no, I I, I did see that. Um, But see, but Milo is also someone who wouldn't have existed. You know, he he didn't he didn't come he didn't come about organically, right? He wasn't elected. (laughs) You know, he wasn't he he came about by people thinking that he was a sensational troll that they could have on their shows. And, you know, Bill Maher hosted him, he got a publishing contract, um, and it was because people felt like he was a show. And by doing that, they managed to project a lot of his toxicity into the mainstream. And mm-hmm. so in that case, I'm not entirely sure whether sunlight, well, I think sunlight was like a nourishment for mm-hmm. Milo as mm-hmm. opposed to a disinfectant. And I think the same as being, can be said of Tommy Robinson in the UK so as well. So what finally brought Milo down in your view? <laughs> I, I, I think Milo um, basically fell afoul of, the nation, of our hypocrisy on free speech, right? Um, and I think actually Milo is a very good example about, of the fact that we don't have absolute free speech because when he touched on the topic of pedestrian and pedophilia, people were like, no, that's not on. Mm-hmm. We can't talk about that. And I just think he- Oh, he- I don't know. I had a lot of people that I, maybe I'm using weasels here, but a lot of people defended Milo from my point of view on his totally bizarro statements that gay men need. Uh, what did he say? These uh, these older men, young boy relationships define themselves. I had a, saw so many people defending those statements. Uh. Were they like mainstream people or were they like not mainstream no i should i should clarify that's true they weren't mainstream they were they were big internet people but not mainstream media people that's true he milo is just stupid he crossed so many dumb lines that guy had a really as much as i hate to say he had a promising career ahead of him as being a provocateur but god he was just an idiot he went way too far i just think that you know there's people that say that it was sunlight that finally brought him down because he appeared on bill maher's show and then people got to know about him and then they discovered all this awful views which included the the pederasty views and i just think that that's not true at all because his views about that were circulated and were around 
And it didn't take Bill Maher exposing, he didn't expose them. In fact, Bill Maher praised him as a young hitch or something gross like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, it took uh, someone on his own side deplatforming him, right? It was uh, uh, the Reagan Battalion or something that tweeted out a clip of his YouTube video where he said these things. And so he got deplatformed from a right wing event. That's mm. what it took. It took his own side finally taking seriously how horrendous he is. I don't think it was sunlight. Well, I think, again, I think it was just Milo is a special example because that guy is so extreme. Um, and, and like, yeah, geez, that guy just was so dumb in terms of how extreme he pushed things. He's probably a special exception because it generally doesn't happen that the right will turn on their own. Man, you have to do a lot. Yeah. I, I used to think differently. Like, man, when I, there were like five different moments where I thought Trump had torpedoed it. Any hope yet? Yeah, 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 he yeah, made fun too. of when he made fun of McCain for being a war hero. That's like the one thing you don't touch Republicans on. Oh, I thought uh, the like, pussy yeah. grabbing he was done. I thought he was done. No, no, oh no, that that doesn't matter. Republicans don't care about women. That was, <laughs> I wasn't as surprised about that. The the war vet thing though, Republicans really love their war vets. That was yeah. a big shocker for me. Yeah. Um what was said earlier, this is I think the strongest argument in favor of um in favor of kind of the sunlight thing is something that you said earlier about um, how we've already won these arguments, you know, we don't need to have mm -hmm. them again. I actually think that things are, I don't think that humans, um, how do I say this? I think that you need to ground your policy positions in philosophical positions that do require justification. So for instance, and it sounds bad to say it, but I think that from time to time, it feels like we do need to return to the, the, the questions of should people of color be treated the same as white people? Should women have the same opportunities as men? They seem like really obvious questions, but I mean, it's pretty obvious that not everybody is on the same page with these things but anymore. But you and see I think the harm that can come from this right like just as the synagogue shooting um well the harm is that you know focusing right on now, things like the jewish question and stuff what is the benefit I, of that well i think the problem is that for a long time and i can only speak in so far as the u.s is concerned uh, maybe a little bit with the united kingdom right now with brexit but i think because i because i think brexit was one of those things where i don't think you guys seriously thought that was going to happen that was my impression that it was kind of a referendum and that it had support but that was something that should have died by, by like 20 points that should have been like a 60 40 thing and then it was like oh shit like what happened i didn't i couldn't believe this actually happened that or at least that's that's what it seemed like to me from the media that i was reading over here and then and Trump was that way in the United States. And, and the problem is that there are people right now that exist that don't believe in these fundamental questions or that don't have these same fundamental answers that a lot of left-meaning people have, that women should be afforded the same opportunities as men. And you see this with the rise of figures like Jordan Peterson, who are making strong arguments for why women and men should be treated differently. I think that we need to have these arguments back, not because like it's something that needs to be contested again, but because it's something that is being contested. And the right have figures right now today that are addressing these arguments. Well, this no, is no. why we I agree with you. When someone in the mainstream is obviously, uh, you know, challenging these things, you can't just ignore it. Like ignoring Jor Jordan Peterson or ignoring Richard it's, Spencer doesn't help. I do think that you yeah, need to engage but that's, with this that's kind of thing. That's what's been happening. And I think yes. talking earlier to the question about Trump, the reason why Trump 
had the, the media coverage was so good for him wasn't because he had a lot. It's because liberal, I say liberals, Democrats or left-leaning people in the U.S. were pretty much just putting him on TV and going like, look at how stupid this guy is. Like, it's yeah. so obvious how dumb, but there's a lot of people that don't think that. So every now and then, maybe it is a good reason, or maybe it is good to address, hey, this is why we don't treat Hispanics as subhuman. This is why we don't treat all immigrant classes the same. There is a difference, believe it or not, between illegal immigrants that come here to commit crime and illegal immigrants that are here you know, because they want opportunities for their family. But you're talking about like solely for the purpose of refuting these arguments. There's definitely value in that, right? Yeah. But I'm yeah, talking for sure, about yeah. engaging in debates. Like there was one, an Nesreen that is from the U- UK I saw recently, they were hosting a debate called, is ethnic diversity a threat to the West? Do you know which one I'm talking about? I do, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if that is being posed as a respectable question, it is not fulfilling the uh, even just engaging in it framed in that way is irresponsible, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that goes to the point that I was making earlier and that Destiny just made about how the issue was that we did not that they gave Trump too much coverage is that they didn't take him seriously enough. Mm. Um and they didn't scare people enough, basically. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they, people would have been scared into voting against Trump if they'd known how much, you know, how, how it wasn't funny, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I, so, so, so the point is that, like, with the, with the title of that, um, with that discussion, is that too often these debates now are about spectacle. And there's two things going on. One is that it's just... <laughs> It's fashionable now to be edgy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and say, oh, you know, but we should discuss these things where, you know, we're, we're muscular and we're robust and why can't we thwart these things with our brains? And the second thing is that, and this is a really sad observation, but I think it's true, is that there is a real difference between, I really hate saying this, but I think there really is a difference between people who are fundamentally affected and those who aren't. Mm. And I think that there would be very... What do you mean by very, fundamentally so, affected by what? What do you mean? So, so, so I'll give you an example. So, so I think if there, were, if there were people on that panel, apart from Trevor Phillips, who is, who is the black one on the panel, who is a very specific type of person... Um, but I think that there is a reason why there were no... So this panel we're talking about had, I think, five people who are all white apart from one guy who was black and who has a history of basically making arguments against identity politics. No. Against, oh, of course. You're talking you know about I mean? like, yeah. like, that, like that guy, right? Um, yeah, sure. And so... The guy they I, bring to say we're not racist. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I I don't mean to undermine Trevor Phillips. I'm pretty sure, you know, I actually think he believes these things, right? Um, And that's fine. But I think if there were anybody else on that panel who was the son or daughter of migrants um, or immigrants or was themselves an immigrant or a person of color, they would have objected to the heading. Right. Yeah. So they would have said, OK, like I'm, we're very happy to have this discussion. Right. We're happy to have an academic discussion about the cultural fallout of immigration. You know, does multiculturalism work? All these things are valid mm-hmm. discussions. But the headline, the way it was headed was deliberately controversial, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone on the panel objected to it because they are fundamentally unaffected by these issues. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think any of these people, you know, and this is a horrible thing to say because I think this is, and I hope I'm wrong, 
but experience keeps proving me right on this. Um, <laughs> well, it's like the blind spot that Destiny was talking about, right? It's hard to see it if it's not affecting you, maybe, for some people. Well, that and, like, these are things that you learn. And, like, God, these are so complicated. Like, I got into a big debate about terrorists with a guy that was a Trump supporter. And, like, people didn't even realize how subtly phrasing things differently. Like, if I was just – if I wanted to search for good information about this, I would be looking for something like Trump tariffs impact on economy. But that's going to give me different results than are Trump tariffs destroying the economy or are Trump tariffs benefiting the economy. So, like, having a a panel called – you know, you can have a panel. All three of these can be on the same topic. Um, Is diversity our greatest strength can be one is diversity destroying Western society can be another and the impacts of diversity on Western society, right? Like all three of these could be over the same topic, but just yeah. based on the title alone, you can imagine, you know, the third one is probably going to be, you know, okay, cool. Um, you know, what impacts does diversity have on society? And then we can go over the pros and cons because there are both. And then yeah. we can talk, the other two are clearly, you know, heavily weighted as well. Yeah. It's know? like there are other ways of doing this, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and there was one person on the panel who defended it saying sure was it deliberate like was it unnecessarily provocatively titled yes but one of the panelists has a book to sell and so oh. I guess that's why and that's why he named it that way and I was like <laughs> I guess it's okay. okay to throw people under the bus if you have a exactly, book exactly cool, and that's fine and I mean like if somebody from the audience was to throw a rock at their face you know it's like well was this unnecessarily provocative yeah sure but I had a point to make and I think like you get that argument is so dangerous you know <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's dangerous but also the fact that he felt that it was a an excuse was kind of amazing because yeah. it just made me think you have no idea like you don't this is this is this is this is a for, for, so per, i'm gonna make a personal comment here personally from what i struggle with in these very messy complicated discussions where there are actually very few binaries right or there should be very few binaries um is my constant shock and self-doubt when very smart people show a complete lack of self-awareness, right? Because that really unsettles me, Mm. you know? It really throws me off because I think you're either smart and mendacious, right? Mm. Which Which is horrible. I don't want you to be that way. Or you're smart, but there is a chasm of difference between you and I as human beings because of our experiences. And that is also a very sad thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, And I would like to think that there are things that are obvious to people who are intelligent and who argue these things for a living and Mm -hmm. who parse nuances for a living. But constantly it appears to me that, that there are choices that people make, right? There are choices that people make all the time. And those choices are based on their worldview, which they don't really question. And for you to callously throw out a point like, okay, it was deliberate, I guess, but you know, some people have books to sell and sometimes <laughs> they can be cynical and provocative. Like, let's focus on the main thing, which is the substance of the debate. Like, no, they're both main, these both these things are main things, mm. you know, they're both main things. And if we're going to discuss these very sensitive issues, you should be doing your absolute best to make sure that... Like you have to be responsible. That exactly. they're presented finely and calibrated. Yeah, anyway, that was like a little personal sort of 
this, this depression rant. Right, right. And even places like the BBC do this. Like they had, uh, a, uh, what was it, a piece on Tommy Robinson recently where they used his own marketing image, which is like a picture of yeah, him. I was with, on that. Yeah, oh, so I was okay. on that so I was on that panel of two. Right. So let so me just explain for the audience that it's an yeah. image of him with the uh, with the tape over his mouth, and they framed it as something like, um, you know, is he just a person that uh, you know discusses topics that no one else will, or is he? Uh, what was it? So it like, was like. So basically, it was like, is he a free? Is you know, is he someone who is cynically using stories about Muslims to further his own career, or is he a free speech martyr? Basically, is he gagged? Right. And and they use the image. The, the the image that they use was the Tommy Robinson marketing image, right? So they and so does that make sense? So the, the image yeah. that Tommy Robinson himself uses is him with this tape over his mouth, and they just use that. Right. The framing which, is which so was already endorsing. Yeah, but what I had to do then, which just shows you how the world has changed, and why and and why free speech debates uh, don't recognize the new world we live in. What I had to do to go on that show, which I go on quite frequently, I had to go and try and sabotage it from the inside, right? So I had to go and say, I don't agree with the whole framing of this, right? Well, I don't. Good. Someone I, at least said I, I it. No, but it was, but it was an, it was a waste of time, right? Because oh, it, we we ended up discussing the premises of things, right, rather than the actual real problem, which is a, an agitator racist who is whipping up hatred towards Muslims, which is what we should have been talking about, right? But yeah. we ended up talking about, oh, how should the media deal with it? And should we frame it this way? And what is he really doing? And so we waste so much time. You know, the, the best we can do now is question premises. We don't even, we're not even getting to the real meat of the thing, right. you know? We're just, you know, the best thing we can do is get to a point where we arrest the premise. Um, this but is, the rest, mm, go ahead. This is so frustrating to me. Uh, so I was like a very quick aside. A long time ago when I got into these debates, I envisioned like hardcore philosophical ethical debates on some of these positions. That's what I wanted to do two years ago. And it's been a miserable failure because I can't even fucking get to that or freaking, I don't know if I'm a love story or sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't even know sorry. if I'm, I don't even know if I can get to those conversations because all of them are so horrendously fucking caught up in these stupid narratives that are just dumb and it's boring. And it's, I feel like I can have these arguments in high school, like to, 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 to speak to what you were saying about how we're just getting hung up on like the first premise and not having any real conversations. So to go back to the central point of this podcast, free speech, that is such an interesting topic. Like, and there are so many, like, People don't realize that you can be pro-free speech, you can say you're free speech, and you can have a discussion on whether or not free speech leads to harm, and you can even agree that it does and still support it. But if you could at least get that far, at least we could have conversations on, hey, I'm pro-free speech, I do acknowledge that it can lead to harm. So even being pro-free speech and acknowledging that, what are ways that we can minimize that harm, right? That at the very least, if you were having real conversations, we could find, even if we have total 
totally different philosophical normative values, at least we could come together on ways where we can say, like, okay, you know, you're against free speech because it harms people. I'm pro free speech because it, even though it harms people, maybe we can at least find some middle ground on how can we minimize the impacts of free speech on certain communities. Maybe even though I'm pro free speech, maybe there are certain types of speech that um, it should never be unchallenged or shouldn't be platformed, at least in certain environments that at the very least, if we were having these real conversations, we could get to the more interesting, nuanced parts at the end where we can acknowledge the impacts that some of our beliefs have on people and then how we can augment those impacts, you know, how, I, how we can make I, it better. I completely agree. But I think we have to take a step back and start before this stage, which is why aren't we having those real conversations? Oh, yeah, we're so I, far away from like, that. I totally agree. Having, you know what I mean? Like, but, and I think that's the way forward. The way forward is to basically go back, right? To go but back. But that's yeah, well, not going to happen all the people, people are, all sorry. The people, yeah, I was gonna say all the people leading these conversations are too stupid to be in the position. I say stupid again. Like Dave Rubin is just an idiot. He's not the guy because I I think I'm still somebody that believes in free speech. But Jesus, I would never want Rubin yes. making my arguments for me because he's too dumb to do it. He doesn't understand the pros and cons of what free speech means. You know, like if you want to say that somebody should have the right to not serve somebody a cake because they're gay, which I think you can make arguments for that. Fine. Well, what are we gonna do if we have an entire city full of people that have come together and said they're not gonna do it now? Now what are you going to do? Because that's something that could happen. It's not just Dave Rubin. He's one of the it's, stupidest ones. Yes. But all of these IDW members yes. are leading the these conversations. Uh, Stephen Crowder's, the But that's why I think, coming back to right at the beginning, that's why I think the main frustration is uh, who are the people who are going to be Dave Rubin et al.'s counters? Right. And so the problem is that on free speech, because people still find it very hard to enter a conversation with someone who is pro absolute free speech and try and have that discussion with them. But Dave um, won't allow them to. He's turned down so many people on the oh, left. Yeah. Yeah. He's no, so, I guess that's so that, dishonest. That, 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 that's, a, that's a good point. But there are also, you know, there are also a lot of people who we have lost to this sort of centrist, liberal, fet posturing on free speech, like Bill Maher, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that, that Bill Maher could have been someone who was smart and smarmy and hygienic enough to be a counter to these people. Mm -hmm. But it's just not fashion. It's just not fashionable. Yeah. This is the problem. It isn't yeah, the fashionable. New thing you yeah, want it's to not, be what an anti-SJW. Exactly. position now. Exactly. Anti-reactionary. Exactly. And so, so I always, so the reason why, like, they have all the space is because it's not it's does it, it doesn't make a career right it doesn't make a career it's not fashionable to be pro difficult conversations about freedom of speech to be pro identity politics to be mm -hmm. pro political correctness like these are all things but they that are so pro identity politics when it benefits them i know them. but but that, yep. but that that's exactly the point is that and pro political a, correctness what it is that don't call totally. Trump racist that's yeah. not technically what he is <laughs> totally. it's like oh wait now we care about the exact words we use when you use illegal immigrant hispanic mexican refugee when you use all these words interchangeably now we care about yeah exactly yeah. exactly so the pro so the problem is we need to we need to remove our i think my conclusion so far, and it's a work in progress, is that we need to go back and discover the original sin, 
in all of this. And the original sin is the seeding of space, right? I think that is one of our biggest problems is that we, we have seeded so much space to these circuitous bad faith arguments because it's not trendy and it's not fashionable and it doesn't make a career for you to do it. And we don't have, and I think if you take it kind of a broad right-left thing, it's also a legacy of years of funding that have gone behind mm. these ideas and these people mm -hmm. that the left just does not have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people like the Koch brothers or, you know, the Gatestone Institute, these are all people that fund mm -hmm. books and publications and they put people on panel shows on TV. So Frank we're dealing Rubin. with... And Ruben, yeah, so we're dealing with decades of strong networks. And so the, the answer to the question was like, how do you how do you convince people of the virtues of, to have these interesting conversations? And they really are interesting. And the irony is that we are on the whole, I think, open to them, you know, like, mm -hmm. I am, you know, I am very open to discussing and I find it actually very interesting, the kind of legal aspect of freedom of speech um, to compare it to how we you know, calibrate other things. You know, as a society, we manage to calibrate things like, you know, minimum age for sexual intercourse, right? Like minimum mm -hmm. age for driving, minimum age for voting, minimum age for alcohol consumption. Um, you know, we generally are pretty happy for the state and its mechanisms to adjudicate kind of arbitrary guidelines about mm -hmm. things that are much more important to our lives than freedom of speech. You know what I'm saying? Um, prison sentences, you know, death penalties, all that kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes to freedom of speech, suddenly everyone's a Supreme Court judge, you know, and, and thinks that society is unable, un absolutely unable to calibrate any sort of guidelines about freedom of speech without becoming a slippery slope. But, you um, know, this isn't even a new thing. Like, I came across a 1920s or 30s picture of uh, the KKK in Alberta, and they were holding, like, a free speech rally, and, you know, they have this public... No, none of none of these things. 1930s, this, 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 yeah, it's a 1930s photo yeah, no, of a of a clan no, meeting. I completely no. This is a very good point um, that all of these things actually have a long history because they were never about the thing. They were always about the politics, right? Yeah. And so, whether it's freedom of speech, whether it's polit like political correctness. You know, the first screeds against political correctness were in the 1960s, right? Like just before the civil rights movement. And so, but we, but we have failed. We have failed to recognize that they are about politics. We continue to treat them as if it's about the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the trick, the trick is in kind of hacking that, right? The trick is in recognizing the tools, knowing when not to engage and how to engage. And I really think that, the trick is in coming in there with complete awareness of what you're actually talking about. And it's all dog whistles and fig leaves for other things. Mm. And once you see that, it becomes this kind of, you're kind of in the matrix, right? Uh, once you see it and then you have to decide what you want to achieve at the end of the day. You know, do you want to convince people? I think that is, I think that's a dead end. Um, but or, or do you want to try and understand why this is happening? I think that's the best I can hope for right now is to understand why these things are happening and what they really mean and not get punked, basically, into having these conversations that are performative mm -hmm. as far as people like mm -hmm. Dave Rubin are concerned. Right. 
Um, but I think that the, 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 the useful pressure, I think if there's any pressure that can be applied well, it is on those people that know better, right? It is on the New Yorker editor and it is on the Economist editor and the Financial Times editor and those columnists that were on that panel about ethnic diversity. Like, I think the pressure on those people to try and redraw the, the lines of the debate might just work. I'm not optimistic, but I think everyone else... I genuinely believe that they're litigating something else to whatever it is they think they're doing or they they're telling us that they're doing, and it's a waste of time. Mm. I think that, to, to reiterate on something that you said before, um, and this is something I feel so strongly about that we mentioned earlier, the, the seating space to these people on certain arguments is just don't, I don't think anybody, if you have the privilege of, of not being, I guess, personally impacted by it and can do it, don't 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 seed certain spaces. Mm. Um, the idea that uh, my, the most successful things I've had in my debates, that when people have emailed me saying, hey, I saw this, has usually been when I've thrown conservative lines back at them. Um, for instance, I've had so many conversations about, say, Trump's impact on the economy. This is a very easy argument to, to win, that the impacts have been, that, that he hasn't really done too much, right? And, and I'll get people that will want to make these strong arguments, but they don't, they can't really talk about a specific, particular policy or a particular part of the economy that was that wasn't, you know, at all time highs in 2013 under Obama. And, you know, oftentimes a really effective rhetorical strategy for me is, when a person is saying things like, well, you know, I think that Trump is just, he's just had this effect that's harder to talk about. Um, one thing I like to say to these people is, you know, um, I can't really argue with you if you're just going to talk to me about how you feel. Um, I can only look at empirical data. You know, I only have like facts that I can point to. If you want to talk to me about how you feel about Trump, I, I can't really have that conversation with you. And it's great that you feel that way. But I, like w when you use their own vernacular kind of at them in this way, it, people get incredibly frustrated. Um, and, and I noticed that like, again, talking to like the idea that, that left people, left leaning people need to see the fact-based arguments to focus on social justice like oh man i'm just that's a complete dead end i think yeah wait wait what what do you mean to see to, to basically not see the fact-based bit and just focus on the social justice bit oh like, exactly yeah exactly yeah. especially when all the fact-based 99 percent of the fact-based are in your favor you start to see it more now on youtube thank god where there are more i, I say on youtube this is kind of cringy but like um and then it's kind of in more mainstreamish media where you're getting more of these people that are um that are playing into the conservative stereotypes of being kind of like um like the the dispassionate cool um whatever dude that you know in is kind of edgy um Who's the one guy now that does the, uh, oh God, there's a, a kind of funny guy that does like left-leaning reports on YouTube now. Um, oh God, I should have had his name ready. But but like you're seeing more of these people Is kind of Sean pop Is it Sean or H-Bomber guy or? Um, no, no. He, well, he does the thing where he like looks at the camera. I don't think he, is he affiliated with Vice or not Vox or somebody? Um, they, I'll find out by, before the end of the show. But like, yeah, you, these people popping up more. I'm glad that we're starting to see more of these, but kind of like H-Bomber guy as well. Like these people that are coming out with aggressive fact-based arguments yeah. and just completely debunking and shutting down. Yeah, the, the, the kind of um, the, the rhetoric that we see on the right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to to debunk some, like what's out there, but at the same time, I don't think exposure, just general exposure, always ensures that people will take the right message. So you have to have, uh, you know, it in the right context. You have to frame it responsibly. Just like we talked about, that is ethnic diversity. Uh, what what was it called? Is ethnic diversity... Is ethnic diversity a threat to the West? Right. Is ethnic diversity a threat to the West? That debate... Or framing Tommy Robinson using his own marketing photos. No, you can't do that. You know, this is all Ooh. sunlight. You have to absolutely put it in context. You have to responsibly debunk this stuff. 
Otherwise, you're just giving them nourishment, as you said. Necessary. Yeah, but, but, but I'll come back to one final point, which is again about the curators of the debate. Um, and if those people are going to be overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly straight, you know, it sounds it's terrible because it says this is the bad thing about identity politics, which is to assume that no one really can behave in ways that are outside their experience. But there's a reason, right? There's a reason why no one in that commissioning room was like, I don't think this works. You know, <laughs> I don't think, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many yep. times where I see things on TV or on the radio. And that's or, the representation argument, Yeah, and I right? just think there wasn't a single person of color in that room when that idea came Diversity up. Diversity like behind know, the scenes right? is so yeah. important for that reason. So you can just have different perspectives weighing in different life experiences, people from different walks of life. It's so important, especially in today's environment where we're all so interconnected through the internet that we have different perspectives. You can't just, like you said, who's going to debunk these Dave Rubens and stuff? These are the people with yeah, the powerful and so, platforms and they yeah, don't and, give a chance to anyone to debunk exactly. them. Exactly. And so what happens is we end up in this awful sort of, I feel sometimes that, um, I feel really sorry sometimes for people of color. And like, I'm, I'm not British, but I'm, I'm from Sudan. Um, so I grew up in a, you know, majority black country. Mm. And I feel sometimes very bad for people of color in the UK because I feel like they're in an aquarium, you know, and people are discussing them mm. on, on TV and in the press and in the papers. And I'm like, none of you are there. You know, none of mm. you are represented in these discussions. Um, and like this whole debate about Tommy Robinson, there was a whole documentary before that had no Muslim voices on it at all. And then when it came to the panel discussion, it was what just me and one other guy. And I'm not even British, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just thought, I feel sometimes that there is this awful sense that like we get to debate the effects of multiculturalism and ethnic diversity and Islam and Islamophobia and all that kind of stuff but it's sort of from an arm's length looking mm. at or down at these people it feels very um, patronizing or condescending yeah. yeah just but again that is because people think that diversity or representation in the higher echelons of the media or in publishing or whatever is box ticking or negative mm -hmm. like positive discrimination or whatever and so all these things just to step back, all these things are interconnected because they are about a fundamentally, you know, hetero, sounds going to sound really obnoxious, but it's about a, a, a society that's hardwired on a default setting, which mm -hmm. is heteronormative and white and male. Mm -hmm. And until that changes, it's a struggle, right? Well, until also, you have to kind of take into account if society's values are tipping a certain way, you can't afford to be as careless as you once were, right? So um, I guess me hosting an Islamist on my show here in Canada, I'm not really such a big platform in the first place. So I, I feel like I, I can have more leeway with who I have on to debate and argue if I'm going to argue with an Islamist who thinks the blasphemy law is a good thing, and I have had someone like that on, I'm not doing it in an environment um, where Islamism is sort of the, uh, the norm or Islamism is becoming more and more acceptable by the day. So when racism is rising, it's really 
irresponsible, I think, to host unchallenged conversations about racism or just like not do your homework or misrepresent things or not put things in the proper context. So talking to Islamists in Pakistan is different. You have to be mm-hmm. very careful how you do that. Talking yep. to white nationalists now in the West is different. You know, it's not, it's no longer a given that we've moved beyond racism, that we're progressing, that things are getting better. So now is a time that maybe in 2008, it wasn't like that. You could maybe host the occasional Nazi at a university campus, I think, just for the purpose of having someone responsibly debunk him, not host him for fun. But Mm. now it gets very risky to do that. It's very important to understand that context, right? So I think my attitudes have shifted as well before where I'd be like, yeah, you know, if you've got someone to debunk the Nazi on a campus, I think it's very, very useful for people to see how you debunk those arguments. Whereas now I'm going to think twice, even though I still think it's useful to have them debunk, there's a certain type of person that no matter what, how badly you portray this guy, they're still going to take the positive out of it. Mm. Yeah, and also just the framing is like, um, oh, the Holocaust, we're learning about that in school. Man, people debate a lot about whether or not that happened today, right? Like yeah. that kind of framing is can be very damaging if you're not careful. Right, exactly. So as things carry more and more weight in the society that you're living in, you have to be very careful how you approach those topics. Yeah, but free speech, free speech proponents would say... You know, it's it's just the marketplace of ideas. If an idea has no reception, you know, bad ideas will not get, you know, the good ideas will float to the top, right? Yeah. And the bad ideas will sink to the bottom because, like, we've never had any world wars or a holocaust or anything before, right? So um, this this free speech proponents would be like, look, you know, we should have, we should, we should trust humanity. We should trust people to be able to distinguish between good ideas and bad ideas, and we cannot intervene. They they would say is, this, but which is these... a legitimate. It's a, I think that is a legitimate argument. Like no, the problem. No, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah, hang so if someone says, like, I, I completely, I will take the risk, right, that some bad ideas take hold, but I think on the whole, we're going to be okay, then I'm happy to debate that person and say, okay, so you're saying that there is, like you said earlier, there is an accept, there's acceptable collateral, right, that there are, and, you know, it was, it's just kind of, again, we go back to the idea of Darwinism, right, that there are that the way nature is, is that sometimes people fall by the wayside and you can't curate it all. You can't be a fashion that that way lies fascism and totalitarianism. And it's a very kind of capitalist, laissez-faire view of the world, um, which is a fair argument. I just don't wa- I don't want to live in that world. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to live in that world where we are risking that the whole time. And I also don't know if it's going to end up okay because it has ended up not okay several times before you know it's not like this never happened before it's not like bad ideas didn't take hold before very recently Mm. um and so the the idea of the marketplace of ideas and like the laissez-faire thing and you can't you have to just have the discussion with no context whatsoever um because then you're intervening and you're and you're intermediating is one that people are not brave enough to pursue to its natural conclusion, 
right? Like they think that's hysteria. So they'll say, oh yeah, I think you're being hysterical. You don't think that people can calibrate, you, you don't think people can tell apart, you know, a Nazi from a blah. And I just think your faith in mankind and humanity is far bigger than mine. Um, and actually I think slightly ahistorical. Mm-hmm. I guess like the problem, I mean, I could see a person who believes that, but it's just the problem I have is that so many of these people make these arguments so disingenuously. A person says, yeah. I think that the marketplace of ideas will win out. Capitalism and the free enterprise will always win. It's like, okay, cool. So then why are you guys so mad? Why are you guys petitioning Congress in the United States to keep Facebook and Twitter from banning you guys? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you be okay if all of you get banned? Doesn't that mean that another social media platform is going to come up and get really popular because in the free marketplace, like, you should be championing these platforms. They're exercising their free speech in, in every ways that you'd be happy of it, right? But these mm-hmm. people have no consistency. And I just exactly. can't respect like I, I love the arguments that you're making. I would love to have those conversations. But when you're going to sit here on one hand and say, I champion a baker's right to not make a cake for a gay man because God bless him. He should be fine. That's cool. But you can't say that. And then the next week get upset that uh, Sarah Huckabee or somebody got kicked out of a restaurant for her political beliefs mm-hmm. that they didn't want to serve her because of the things she's done, not even because of the type of person she is, but because of the things she's done. It, it's all or nothing. Like you can't pick and choose. The or parts YouTube of speech. demonetizing, you know? Yeah. You should, yeah, that's you should champion that. That's advertisers yeah. choosing who they want to support. Like you'd be private. Coke, the Coke brothers don't fund, you know, the same <laughs> people that Soros does. Right. So like, I, I wish I could have these arguments, but I have to play this game so often where it's like, do you actually care at all? Do you really give a fuck about free speech? Or is it really just when your arguments are being supported? And this is why like, it's so dangerous when liberals make these arguments about free speech because people who are fascist love these arguments because mm-hmm. they will they will openly abuse yeah. a liberal's obsession with free free yes. speech to push their insane agendas yes. and liberals are just along for the ride defending them like morons because they're defending some view insofar as it supports their own ends and it's like oh like these are just i i wish that like i i, I long for this ideal world where i can have these like really intellectual conversations about free speech and the possible impacts and what we can do to mitigate those but today it just plays out in such a piss poor way mm-hmm. where it just yeah. becomes this, this this football that's just kicked back and forth between two teams to, to, to push a, an end and it oh i hate yeah, I think I think just I, I'd make one last point because I have to run. Mm-hmm. I think that just to have an actual discussion, like a real discussion just between yeah. the three of us, is that I find that when I have to think about or talk or write about freedom of speech or about political correctness or identity politics or all these things that have become, you know, our popular culture wars, it seems to me that they all they, they all are good ideals in the abstract. Right. They are all good ideals. Like it's, for example, do do I think people should say whatever they feel and not have to temper or be politically correct or be sensitive? Sure. That's a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like people Mm -hmm. should be honest and be able to say what's on their mind without persecution or fear of shunning. Do I think that people should be able to say whatever they feel without being persecuted for that? Absolutely. Um. But I think the problem with these sort of enlightenment values is that they came at a very specific period in time and they came about in homogenous societies where the only dividing fault lines were around class and ownership of capital, right? Mm-hmm. There were no, there, you know, there were, and religion, obviously, but they were not diverse societies. They were not societies that had begun even a reckoning around w- women and feminism. Um, 
And so I feel like there is a very admirable, universal freedom of individual principle at the heart of these things, which of course we should love and covet and pursue. But we don't live in that world. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like these are all things that in an ideal world, absolutely, we should pursue. But the ideal world is a neutral world, right? The ideal mm -hmm. world is a world where racism doesn't exist, where sexism doesn't exist, or it is a homogenous world, mm -hmm. right? And until we, reach, until we reach a homogenous society and, and until we have like ethnic cleansing and oh we have gosh. a homogenous society or unless we reach a society where, where we are post-race and post-identity because we have reached final nirvana, these issues have to be calibrated, right? Yeah, you yeah, have to adjust according to the times, the climate, where you are and who you, who's listening to you. Yeah, and then just to agree with that final point, um, the, I, 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 somebody sent me this a while ago. I remember reading, it, it had to do with the idea that um, what you just spoke to, when, when these values of freedom of speech and protecting people um, to criticize whoever, when these things were being championed, it wasn't for the majority to, to use racial slurs. It wasn't for the majority <laughs> to press the This was for classes of people that were were didn't have representation you know that like for the americans you know revolting against the british it was the literal no taxation without representation because we lacked representation in government that's where these values came from they weren't installed so that you know people that control every branch of government can also you know use racial slurs without criticism or not be you know excluded from any private platform for being nazis or whatever it was for a totally different purpose and um it's very interesting yeah the difference between what these values started as and who they kind of protected versus how they're kind of wielded today and, and yeah. whose interests they seem to defend today yes but again what one well to me an actual last point coming back to the point of religion this is why when you talk to people about islam which at the time was super progressive mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. at the time when 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 Islam started, it was super progressive and it was actually a, a class movement, right? It was a class based, it was a religion that appealed to the lower classes um, and that advocated, you know, equal welfare and distribution of, of excess capital and um, free, you know, gave women inheritance rights when they didn't have them. You know, them. 1,400 like, years ago, definitely, but it just... Yeah, like at the time, absolutely. So at the time, it actually, you know, it, it, it arose out of a specific, very oppressive tribal culture that oppressed women and, and people without tribal or rich connections, etc. So the jurisprudence that came out of it was actually progressive at the time. It is not so today. Right. And I see people all the time, like people in the U.S. who try and kind of twist the, the, gun, the gun ownership thing from the Constitution and make it relevant today. I see people doing that with the Quran, right? And mm -hmm. being like, okay, so yeah, things are different today, but, you know, it's a universal document. Like, it is not a universal no, document. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Constitution, is, the Constitution is not a universal document. These are things that are fluid and changing. And it's an alarming thing for people because they're like, well, then what do we have? We have nothing. You know, if we have no constitution, we have no Quran, we have no, you know, amendments to fall back on, then it's just anarchy, right? Um, and I think that's that's why people hold on to these things so much, because they don't know what else they would go on otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that speaks to Destiny's point of a lot of people being really stupid 
and not yeah. being able to calibrate and adjust to the times and kind of reinterpret things or trying to be open to change. So if you're if you're stuck on this static thing from I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, then that's just not going to work today, and that's that's where we are now. So, what's your final mm-hmm. answer on is sunlight the best disinfectant, Nesreen? Before you go, I would say yes and no. <laughs> you couldn't make it easy for me. <laughs> uh. Yes and no. Yes, in that uh, there there are things that we continually think we've achieved. And we haven't, and we need to be reminded of that. Um, and I think a lot of false comfort got us to where we are today on things like, even when you see things like Me Too, you know, men are amazed. They're shocked that this stuff happens because they just thought we'd put all this stuff to bed, you know, for want of mm-hmm. a better term, um, If you know, in the 60s. Um, and so, no, yes, yeah, sunlight is the best, best disinfectant because I think that we thought that we had left many things behind and it was history and it's not history. But no, because we have an irresponsible media and unrepresentative media um, that uses these things as spectacle and sometimes gives them nourishment as opposed to disinfecting them. Mm. Okay. And Destiny, what's your final answer on is sunlight the best disinfectant? Um, I wish you would have asked me first, because yeah, everything she just said, my, my answer would be, it can be. Um, Same. For all the reasons, <laughs> yeah, for all the reasons she just listed. I mean, like it to, to, to take out a, a certain person with a crazy set of beliefs and to dress them down, I think can be an incredibly powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but all too often, it's just it's just not how it works publicly. People are given a platform, they preach some crazy stuff, maybe the hosts laugh at them a little bit, and then they send them off, and they've unknowingly converted some percentage of their audience into fans of that person that was just there. So, so it can be under specific circumstances when everything is framed accordingly and adjusted to the climate, the when, environment. The- yeah, when the people doing it are intelligent enough to realize the, p- the power they have and the yeah. responsibility to engage in platforming certain people. Right. So then yeah, that's not imagine. the argument that people are making when you just give Milo any old platform. Oh, no. Yeah, so then definitely. in that sense, it wouldn't be, but it is possible that it can be if you actually extract and expose and responsibly tell the audience what they're up against. Yeah, if you're intelligent and if you're prepared and you have all the facts and you have studied this person and the way they debate, then you have a chance. You have a fighting chance. Um, But in today's media where everything is commissioned last minute and, you know, everyone's into hits and links, you know, how many hits are on a link, etc., that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, I think uh, I think we agree. And so then we are we are not the anti free speech cucks. (laughs) <laughs> that someone on the right would want to paint us as right, like I mean, I'm I, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll find a way. Yeah, yeah they for, sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I like to think that I, I am uh, an advocate of free speech, but actual free speech. I don't think uh, Nazi being kicked off a dating website is something to lose sleep over. But yeah, guys, it was a great discussion. Thank you so much for coming on and having this long discussion. Pleasure. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. 
Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no E in mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. Thank you.